1: Madam Vice President, you
2: want to hang out with us and get your vaccine, vaccine,
3: vaccine. And so I went to human
1: resources. There's some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches SUP Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will.
0: Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches SUP Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Welcome back to the show. Today I am here to talk about sex work. And to help me do that is Caitlin Bailey. She is a stand up comic, a sex worker rights activist, and the executive director of Old Pros. Thank you so much for being here, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me.
3: It's a big topic.
0: Yeah, it's a huge topic, huge topic, lots of different elements to um, hit on. Um, We're so excited to have you here because there's been a lot of news in this area. I think our listeners most recognizably know about OnlyFans, but Mm -hmm. since uh, that activity, there has been even more happening and more high stakes news stories that could really affect the landscape for sex workers. So we're going to talk about that today.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I actually want to push back on that and say that, you know, what affects sex workers actually affects all of us. You know, we mm-hmm. recently went through that whiplash story with OnlyFans, you know, threatening to remove erotic content. And then the whole internet asked, like, you know, but what else do you do? Um, but now there's actually a case moving forward um, against Twitter, uh, conflating, um, you know, the, the presence of some underage sexual uh, content with human trafficking. And so, you know, if that case is allowed to move forward, you know, this is this is really what sex workers have been Frankly, wow. screaming about since the passage of SESTA FOSTA way back in April of, of 2018. You know, the Backpage trial is moving forward. It's in court right now as we speak. And now, with this case against Twitter, uh, we are really looking at a future where big platforms have no choice but to completely censor wall to wall all erotic content because of this continued historic generational conflation with human trafficking and violent sexual exploitation against children with adult consensual sex work, otherwise known as the oldest profession.
0: Got it. Yeah. And you know what, even as I was you know, writing my questions out for you, I was, you know, I, I, I am pretty careful with my words, but I found myself having to just double check myself even more than I normally do, because I think it is it's not new for people, but it is one of the more underconsidered areas of intersectional feminism. And I don't think people have been as willing to really adopt the vocabulary and the frameworks that are necessary. So like definitely keep pushing back if I say like like I want to talk to you about like, I was writing about Catherine McKinnon's essay, and I almost yeah. called her an ant, like a an anti-porn feminist. But I was like, "Is there such thing as an anti-porn <laughs> feminist?" So there's lots of like there's lots of conversations about feminism, yeah. intersectional feminism that come up yeah. as you discuss this. That, as you said, affect all of us.
3: Absolutely, and you know, I you know what we what we do at Old Pros and what I do at the Oldest Profession podcast is look at things from a historic perspective, right? Because I think a lot of these tensions are easier to see with a, a hundred years, you know, between between what's happening and this conflict, between between um, erotic content or obscene content and feminism is as old as feminism itself. In fact, Susan B. Anthony, right, one of the founders of the Seneca Fall Conventions in the 18, 1860s, one of the, the OG feminists, um, actually did the entire movement a disservice by uh, exiling Victoria Woodhull, who was the first woman to open up um, you know, a, a Wall Street um, investment firm. She was the first woman to address Congress on the issue of suffrage, actually arguing that the 14th and 15th Amendment Already gave women the right to vote because we are citizens, and she specifically excluded her because uh, of her history as a sex worker. So this is a wow. this is an old fight.
0: Yeah, definitely oldest profession, and it turns out one of the oldest oldest yep. tensions in <laughs> feminism. Absolutely. So, as I said last month, OnlyFans moved to ban quote sexually explicit content in a move that sparked a really strong response from users and advocates. They eventually reversed course. We're going to talk about why that. Um, is sort of why that leaves a lot of issues for
3: sex workers. But before we do that, I, I want to ask you why you think that did happen? Why you think uh, they reversed course? I think that, you know, OnlyFans got big enough, right, to attract real investment and to come under increased scrutiny by, uh, you know, by banking institutions, right? MasterCard and Visa uh, right now are sort of being, frankly, threatened, right, by the government um, to, bec- to, get, uh, to get stricter, Um, about cracking down on er erotic content creators, right? This Mm -hmm. ongoing conflation between human trafficking and, uh, you know, adult consensual sex workers has led to legislators, right, threatening um, anybody that does any kind of banking or moving money. You know, law enforcement is really getting involved in, in like even Venmo transactions, trying to crack down, quote unquote, on human trafficking. But when you conflate human trafficking with, erotic content, then everything that OnlyFans does, this is this is exactly what brought down uh, Pornhub, right? You know, it's MasterCard and Visa sort of refusing to absorb the liability of this of this conflation, right? So it's easier for them to threaten to cut off business with OnlyFans. And so then OnlyFans turning around trying to change their their, you know, terms and conditions and their policies in order to comply with this very, very silly law. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to focus on that conflation today. But as I said, even as I was preparing for today, I was like, I'm sure that's all she has to talk about, like is putting too much emphasis on that, like against the point that must be frustrating that it is, of course, a small part of the content online, but it defines the it defines the debate for you. It seems
3: he, absolutely, and I, you know, I think it's really important to talk about what exploitation is, uh, because I think that what we've done essentially in this country is we've used prostitution as a symbol for exploitation, which mm-hmm. d- which gets in the way of us really seeing what exploitation and violent coercion looks like because it is not limited to the sex industry, right? After, you know, the year that we've just had, you know, what, what workers have been going through. We have labor movements that are advocating for better conditions. You know, there, there are people that are absolutely working in, in slave-like conditions here in the U.S. that's not limited or unique to the sex industry, Um, Mm -hmm. I also think that the idea of, you know, women's sexual agency is in fact an existential threat to patriarchy. You know, it's, this idea that you know we can walk around making choices about uh, with whom and what we do with our bodies you know I see a direct connection between the law in Texas right you know effectively banning access to safe and legal abortion with this continued insistence that women are not active agents in our own lives but are instead gullible childlike creatures that it is society's responsibility to protect us from our own choices in fact, the same state, that just uh, banned abortion is also the same state that raised the legal age for uh, people to, to dance at strip clubs, right? They went from uh, 18 to 21. This happened a few months ago. And so overnight, every 18, 19 and 20 year old stripper in Texas lost their job all in the name of cracking down trafficking and exploitation but like look you don't have to be a public policy expert to realize that taking 18 19 and 20 year old you know taking their livelihood away is not going to reduce violence and exploitation it is simply going to push those workers into uh into the criminal underground into full service sex work into doing things that they otherwise wouldn't because you just took their livelihood away that is so crazy because
0: you you certainly can get, Texas will let you marry a man at 18, and I'm pretty sure they'll let you do it earlier than that if you have, you know, your parents' permission. I, I think you could ride a motorcycle without a helmet. I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> That's the thing about all these Texas laws. They're very un texan You can
3: do things with firearms that nobody would recommend. Right, Exactly.
2: Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like, what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now.
1: Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity.
0: So let's talk about this essay that came out yesterday. I'm old enough that I went to women's college and Catherine McKinnon was introduced to me as like a great scholar and somebody whose work was very, um, should be taken very seriously. Not that it shouldn't, it makes an impact and we have to talk about it, but um, she is definitely not a, she's a swerf. I would say <laughs> she's lead, she leader of the SWERF. So she's a noted anti-porn scholar, been around for a long time. And mm-hmm. yesterday she wrote an essay that was, it was titled OnlyFans is not a safe platform for sex work. It's a pimp. Basically though, she used it to basically like vaguely connect OnlyFans to all of her grievances yes. with sex work. And she used some really intense language that I think characterizes this, this bad faith debate that we're talking about. Yeah. In it, she uses really specific experiences, real experiences, but very specific experiences mm-hmm. of women who were clearly at one point, they're like sex trafficked or forced into uh, non-consensual sex work. And she she brings up these to denounce the term sex work completely. I'll read a quote. She writes, sex work implies that prostituted people really want to do what they have no choice in doing, that their poverty, homelessness, prior sexual abuse as children, subjection to racism, exclusion from gainful occupations, or unequal pay plays no role. And she blamed OnlyFans for, quote, legitimizing sexual abuse for a job. So why is it so important to disentangle, as you said, the conversation about consensual sex work with the conversation about degrading content in some types of pornography and further, why do some people willfully refuse to do that?
3: You know, I also uh, am old enough to remember Catherine McKinnon introduced to me in my women's and gender studies yep. classes and, you know, uh, participating in my take back the night rallies. And it, it's confusing to me because, you know, so many of my heroes, uh, so many, you know, really brilliant women that I, I grew up um, in admiration, right? Catherine McKinnon, Gloria Steinem is another figure that I think refuses to, to acknowledge that policing prostitution isn't protection, it's patriarchy, right? If you, it, it cont- to continue to insist, on sicking law enforcement, right, a population that self-reports a 40 percent rate of domestic violence, right, an institution notorious for inflicting violence, not just on women, but also, uh, you know, Black communities, immigrant communities, uh, marginalized communities, to refuse to see the impact of the criminal justice system and this Ongoing campaign to try to censor and arrest our way out of a social problem, right? If you want to talk about anti trafficking initiatives that might have an impact that will absolutely help people in a desperate situation, let's talk about universal health care. Let's talk about expanding housing for queer youth. Let's talk about, you know, creating not just a social safety net, but a floor, right, beneath which. Nobody has to participate in degrading, uh, you know, horrific labor that they find, you know, personally, viscerally repulsive or against their dignity. Whether that means working at a slaughterhouse, right, or you know, performing cunnilingus, like whatever. You, nobody should have to participate in work that they hate or loathe. But I have bad news for Catherine McKinnon and Gloria Steinem: is that this is not an issue that is limited to patriarchy, right? We have exploited workers, right, of all genders, uh, of all races, of all nationalities in this country, and to continue to insist, right, that it always looks like this caricature, right, of human trafficking, right? You know, I never thought that I would have to say to a distinguished scholar like Catherine McKinnon, but like, Taken was not a documentary, right? The movie that you have in your head of what sexual exploitation looks like has absolutely no resemblance to the lived experience on the ground. And eradicating platforms that directly connect right clients to erotic porn performers who are able, right, to negotiate their own boundaries, negotiate their own rates and perform these acts within the comfort and safety of their own home and to pretend that that is the the biggest problem facing women in the same week that we lost access to safe and legal abortion in Texas, I think is a willful misunderstanding that I can, you know, I can no longer sit by and pretend that this is just a generational misunderstanding.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, as you're speaking, it's like, with the Texas abortion law, they they're not saying okay have your baby and we'll, we will support you just come right. tell us it's like they're they're not saying if you feel right. like sex work
3: is your only option yeah. we will then absolutely Catherine you. McKinnon is not fighting for a public policy that gives a min- exactly. a guaranteed minimum basic income right to to everyone uh, in the country right that's an anti trafficking right she's not offering uh, you know housing um, for victims of uh, you know domestic violence and and the truth is is that human trafficking. Uh, doesn't it looks a lot more like domestic violence in this country than it does like you know drug trafficking, right? As much as we would love to believe that there's this you know small network of you know malicious men in, in top coats or something sitting around in a room scheming on you know how to, to further degrade the you know right. great women of this country, that's that's <laughs> not what's happening, right? It's people are trying to make a living, and when you talk about ways of empowering women especially, purchasing power is a real thing. The ability to get our, our needs met, right? The ability to feed our children, the ability to spend time with our families, the ability to, as sex work offers a lot to actual real women that contemporary feminism isn't.
0: Right. I mean, I think about this, this a lot where capitalism sucks. A lot of us hate our jobs. A lot of us would prefer to do different jobs. But it seems like with sex work, that becomes an instant disqualifier. It's like, if the woman, if it's not her favorite activity to spend every second of her day doing, then she shouldn't do that. Well, by by that logic, I should quit my job. Listeners should probably (laughs) quit their jobs. Um, Do you find it hard to sort of balance the like, I feel like that's really built into the slogan. Sex work is
3: work. But is that also a a tension sometimes? It it is absolutely a tension. You know, the sex worker rights movement wouldn't be, uh, you know, a progressive movement if there wasn't, you know, sort of internal disagreement on how to frame this and what public policies are. I personally believe that, yes, sex work is work and it is also sex. And I think that if we go about trying to legislate yeah. or regulate se- sex work as though it were, you know, the kind of job that you can enforce like OSHA regulations on, then we're going to end up with a dystopian nightmare that really only benefits brothel owners or large platforms, right? What we need to do is frame uh, two consensual adults, right? Whether they're negotiating uh, that consent based on uh, based on money or mutual pleasure, it is not the state's business. It is certainly not the role of any law enforcement agency. Uh, to try to arrest, right, or uh, detain anybody for engaging in contul- uh, adult consensual sex, whether money is exchanged or not. In that mm-hmm. sense, I think that this, it, we do better thinking about this through the lens of the LGBT movement, right? You know, when we criminalized uh, homosexuality in this country, right, as we did as part of a, a sort of gay panic that happened um, after World War One and World War II, right, you see these laws uh, really start to descend uh, Upon the country in the nineteen, um, you know, thirties, forties, and fifties, um, where we uh, criminalized, um, you know, cross-dressing. We criminalized uh, gay bars. You know, Stonewall, uh, the famous center of the, you know, the start of the gay rights movement, was an illegal bar run by the mafia. Not because gay men love Italians, although I would not blame them, but because it was a criminalized activity, right? The same thing can be said about sex work. The thing that makes this work dangerous, right, is not the fact that sex between people is inherently sinful, I hope that we have moved past that, at least legislatively in the 21st century, but that uh, when you criminalize something, you push it into the underground. And I am genuinely worried about all of the erotic content performers, sex workers, you know, people who are trying to feed their families, this, you know, increasing drumbeat where every platform that they managed to, you know, find a foothold on, right? OnlyFans was recurring monthly income, it's very difficult to replace that, right, on a whim. You know, I, I supported my podcast through Patreon for the first two years. And I'll tell you that, you know, if that platform went away because somebody somewhere decided that we were promoting prostitution, I, that is the future that Catherine McKinnon, despite all of her legal scholarship, despite all of her, you know, uh, self-declared feminist beliefs is actively fighting for. And I just don't understand it. Yeah, I don't me not understand. I don't understand how you can be a legal scholar and a feminist with any sense of history and not see the historic trend of the conflation of information about women's bodies, access to contraception. That was legally defined as obscenity, right? We have been trying to crack down on, uh, you know, on information about birth control. This goes back to the 1860s. This idea that somebody who would call themselves a feminist would be fighting so hard to take the livelihood and security away from so many marginalized peoples just continues to boggle the mind. I know patriarchy, it's a hell of a drug. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. (coughs) Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell.
0: Have some, um, some platforms like Pornhub, for example, mm-hmm. how have they sort of actually really failed to police child pornography or actual bad criminal content in a way mm-hmm. that has made your job and sex worker rights advocates jobs yeah. much worse
3: or much yeah, harder? You know, there was a really great piece that um, Elizabeth Nolan Brown put out today about the, the, uh, you know, sort of, on um, the upcoming case against Twitter and how it intersects with the ongoing case um, on Backpage and sort of all of these banking regulations and the continued fallout essentially from Cesta fosta and federal laws like it, right? Where you put content, um, you, you put platforms in the impossible position of having to, to decide basically between responding to their users or, you know, flying foul of this law. You know, there's... Um, mm-hmm she does a a much better breakdown of the legal analysis, but essentially um, users ought to have the ability to report content that they, for whatever reason, don't want on the platform. And the platform ought to have the ability and the infrastructure to remove that content. And so right. what happened in the case of Pornhub is there were a couple of really specific cases that were brought to the attention of, you know, admin and no action was was taken. And I think There's the rub, right? And so the the solution, right? That the you know um, that the federal government in Congress and its infinite wisdom has come up with is just to erase all erotic content from the internet, and that will solve the problem forever, right? Then we can just erase pornography. Never mind that it predates money and uh, the internet and every technology ever known to man. All the boobies, get rid of them all. If we erase titties from the internet, (laughs) then we can we can solve exploitation. Right. and um and and so that that is very frustrating but you know there are not uh yeah there are no there are no heroes in these in these stories right you know the founders of backpage um Lacey and Larkin are award winning journalists who sort of built a reputation on being uh, pugnacious contrarians which i respect and mm-hmm. i think that you know this country needs that kind of journalism and backpage the website sort of came out of the weekly independent newspaper empire that they built, you know, if you loved reading about local bands, right, in your mid midsize city, then you right. owe a debt of gratitude to the founders of Backpage, who made that possible, um, even as the, you know, advertising structures changed, and they funded a lot of that work through, through Backpage ads. The back specifically those founders. Um, there are pages and pages and pages um, of law enforcement lauding their efforts to cooperate wow. with them to find known, um, you know, no, known uh, minors. Right? They cooperated with um, reported missing youth. They cooperated with law enforcement when there was evidence uh, of violence or exploitation. But what they refused to do, and what they are facing, uh, you know, federal. Um, What they are facing federal charges in court right now, as we speak, for is they refuse to conflate adult consensual sex work with human trafficking. And they refuse to give up the names um, and the IDs and the addresses of people that purchased ads to engage in what they considered adult consensual sex work. And that's where they ran into ran into trouble. And I personally think that they're taking a heroic stance, and I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know where Twitter and Facebook and sort of the, the behemoths um, on this are, are going to fall. It might be easier for them uh, to simply erase sex workers from their platforms uh, than to, to, to fight the principled fight uh, that everybody has a right um, to engage in the, the kind of sex that they want.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you were talking, I think uh, decriminalize is, is sort of the overarching message. But yep. it sounds like even if that were to happen child pornography would and should remain illegal. So these challenges would would continue even if tomorrow Congress said solicitation is fine. No problem. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And so, you know, when, when sex workers believe that platforms will respect their privacy and protect their identifying information, right? Like Pornhub did this, Backpage Mm -hmm. did this, um, OnlyFans did this. You have to upload an ID uh, in order to, you know, in order to buy an ad, in order to, like, there are absolutely internal mechanisms, right? Of putting, um, you know, putting some stops. No system is perfect. And at the scale that these folks are operating on, they're, you know, with enough, with enough will, there's always a way, right? I'm not quite sure what Twitter could have done to prevent two 13-year-olds who were exchanging sex between one another, right? You know, right. Like, right. when I was 13, Grace, you know, Gratefully, before the technology of smartphones, right? There are some Polaroids that me and my girlfriends put together. You know, like it's there's there's not much you can do to prevent that kind of work. But in order to upload erotic content for money, then uh, you know OnlyFans would have required an ID, Pornhub would have required an ID, Backpage would have required an ID. But those IDs are hard. You know, people. People will go through extreme measures to protect their identity if they think that that's going to be compromised. Because what sex workers have learned over the last 100 years of ongoing oppression is that we don't want to be put on any lists. Yes. Yeah, we don't want our kids taken away. No, definitely not. I mean,
0: as you've gone through this conversation, I mean, the sex worker rights movement is surfacing issues, labor Mm -hmm. issues, privacy issues that that benefit All of us. Where can people, if they want to pay attention to this on an ongoing basis, hear more from you and on the topic?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I think sex worker rights is a it's a red thread that really runs through all of the all of the social justice movements. Right. You know, housing, income, race, incarceration, you know, gender. This this is all of it. We are everywhere. Um, We do a weekly newsletter that we send out every Friday. It's a roundup of sex worker rights-related news from around the country and everything that we're doing at Old Pros. Um, You can sign up at um, oldproinc.com. You can also follow us across social media at Old Pro Inc. Um, I'm at Caitlin Bailey. We have a lot of projects coming up. Um, Season four of the Oldest Profession podcast is launching in November as is uh, a weekly podcast that is all about uh, sex worker rights-related news. That's going. Um, I'm very. We're very excited to roll that out. That's coming out in November, um, and we hope to uh, have a touring show where we can bring, um, you know, speakers and advocates and sex worker performers together, um, and you know, gather like-minded folks in a room and talk about how we can fight against the oldest fight.
0: Yeah, lots of, lots of different uh, ways to bring it out of the shadows, for sure. It's so important. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Caitlin. We really appreciate it. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches SUP Podcast.
3: The Betches SUP Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman,
1: Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram,
3: Twitter, and TikTok, and send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com.
2: batches